0: Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, head in the j- direction of James, the letter of James, and uh, chapter 3. Uh, we're just working our way through uh, through this epistle. It's right near the back of the Bible. If you don't know your Bible very well, um, it, the book of James is right near the back. Um, um, right, chapter 3. Chapter um, 3. To catch you up in the book of James, it's a very instructive book, a very normative book. Um, it, it, James, the half brother of Jesus, um, I mean, imagine growing up with Jesus, you know, as your as your brother, you would be. Uh, how can how can he be the son of God? You know, he's my he's my brother. But uh, and so James initially a skeptic, but then came to faith. And, uh, and, and wrote this book, a very, I say, instructive book, a very normative book. And, and the Bible is our, our authority here, right? I'm not. It's Scripture. So right through this whole book, there are some very uh, blunt things. James is very black and white. It's not a hard book to explain to you. It's very kind of what you see is what you get. But it's a very hard book. When you, when you, when you read it, you can think, oh, that is difficult to hear. It has some difficult things in this book. And this chapter is no, uh, no exception So let's start it in uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Uh, I mean, when you sit down to prepare a preach, that's just what you want to read, isn't it? Just a reminder that uh, as difficult as it might be, I'm going to be judged more strictly. Um, uh, Natalie sometimes reminds me of that if we're disagreeing about something. Um, Anyway... There's good news. There's good news. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. Uh, and so you can read this book you know, with all its difficult things. Of, you know, face joy in trials and be slow to, slow to speak and slow to anger and avoid favoritism and you know, your faith and action have to work together. You can read this whole book and think, how can I measure up to this, this bar that James is, is setting? How can I possibly measure up? How can my life measure up? The good news... James, even James, even James says we all stumble in many ways. Oh, okay, he's, he's not some superhero, James. He's not got unrealistic expectations of us. He knows that we all stumble in many ways, few. Let's read on in verse, picking up in verse 2. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check, Lord, we just pray that this is a, a, a tricky passage, and we just pray for your your spirit's help as we get, walk through it. So, Lord, we can often read things that just feel so jarring and, and difficult, and we pray for your your spirit's help. Help me as we as I preach it this morning, Lord. Uh, be with us. We pray in your name, Amen. So James, James, has a couple of points here. His point is that one of his points is that small things can have a big impact. It's hugely powerful imagery that he's using here, isn't it? You know, a, uh, a horse. If you've ever been to a, a football match or, uh, or caught up in a riot, I haven't, but you can, you know, a horse is a big animal, right? You can stand next to a horse, and it's a big, powerful animal, and yet, you know, it's a, the small bit in his mouth is what is what guides it, what directs it. If you've been on a, I don't know, maybe a ship or a cruise ship, again, I haven't, but, you know, these are big things, aren't they, and yet steered by a a relatively small rudder they're kind of disproportionate aren't they you know the bit of a that goes in a horse's mouth or the the rudder of a ship they're disproportional to the the rest of the size of the uh, of the impact but they have a huge impact don't they yeah the the bit in the horse's mouth the rudder of a ship have a huge impact and so it's big powerful imagery and and why is it he's using is he just exaggerating to you know kind of for effect no, it's because because words are extremely powerful. They can they can penetrate, can't they? They can penetrate. They can destroy the soul. They can set a person on fire. If you, I, I'm sure we can all think of examples where we've we've done that ourselves. I, there's a, I can think of a famous one in. Um, in politics, where you know, prime minister's questions every uh, every every week, and uh, you know, you kind of get these battle-hardy politicians who've done it for years. You know, tackled the media and opposition for years, and and it's this kind of punch and duty, back and forth with the opposition. And uh, there's a very famous one where uh, Tony Blair been in been in government a number of years, and I think it was David Cameron's first prime minister's questions, and. Uh, he, kind of, he he Tony uh, Blair a bit back and forth, you know. What about this? What about this? And then David Cameron gets up and he says, "Look, he keeps wanting to. He returns Tony Blair wants to keep talking about the past. Um, I want to talk about the future. He was the future once." And you look at the camera, looks at Tony Blair, and here's this leader who was the young upstart, the fresh face, who'd been in government for years, but yet got surrounded by, by just controversy and difficulty, as, as prime ministers do. And that comment, he used to be the future one. So you see his face, it just it landed. Yeah, you know, you saw Tony Blair's face, and it just cut through. This this hardy politician who'd done it for years, who'd been a you know, bright upstart, suddenly that comment just and it ended up defining a lot of uh the future for for tony blair and uh, uh, and so on but words can just sometimes just cut right through can't they they're powerful they can destroy they destroy a soul they can penetrate and uh, and what comes out of our mouths you know it can be like this morning it can be praise we can compliment we can build one another up that we can speak the truth but also we can we can speak falsehoods. We can tear somebody down. We can curse somebody. We can complain. We can criticize. We can be cynical. These, these things all come out of our mouths, and it can do a huge amount of damage. Like it says here, it can start fires. A small spark can just start fires. You know, I'm sure we've all said things, and, and it's just gone out, and it's, oh, a fire started. I want to just pull that back. I want to just pull. What but too late. The spark has gone, the ignition, and a fire has started. Who's ever said something and just immediately regretted it? You know, it's come out of your mouth and then you've seen it kind of land or heard yourself say it and immediately, oh, I, just, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't said that. Yeah, we've all done it. Or maybe you can think about when someone's done it to you. You, know, you can think of examples where somebody has said something and uh, it's just stuck. Not just in the moment, but it's stuck. Maybe a parent's maybe a teacher uh, a friend a spouse maybe even yourself maybe even something that you've said to yourself and it's stuck James's point is that that words are powerful and your speech and what comes out of your mouth it it not only reflects your character but it affects your direction yeah much like the 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 bit in the horse's mouth or the rudder of a ship Words don't just affect the hearer, yeah? They don't just affect those who you're you're speaking to. They affect you as you're speaking them. They direct, it says, you know, it directs your heart. It directs who you are as well. Like the bit in the horse's mouth or the rudder of the ship, it can direct you as well. Jesus in Luke 6 says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in, in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Our speech can reveal us and it can direct us. Like the, the horse's mouth or the, the rudder of a ship. Maybe you're, you're new to Christianity or you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And, and, and you just think that being a Christian is about, about doing this or, or not doing that. You know, you've, you've, you've come here, you've heard the book of James. And you think, oh, it's just do this, don't do this. And, and that's, what, that's what following Jesus is like. And you know James, therefore, he's looking for, for robots. You know, he's looking for people who are just going to do this and not do that. Or, or James is looking for kind of outward compliance, you know, behavior modification, um, essentially moralism. Yeah? And, and James, that's not it at all. The truth is that Christianity is about a relationship with a person. Yeah? It's about a relationship, an encounter with Jesus, the person and work of of jesus christ james's point really is that the the whole book is that and we've used this expression before is that those who truly found the way will walk in it or as or as tim keller says it's, it's not just merely a profession of faith but a possession of faith not just saying you're a christian but actually no i i have faith of my own a relationship of my own with jesus that's the point of this book it's about a relationship with a person The person of Jesus Christ who lived the perfect life and who died on the cross for you and for me. Died the most brutal, shameful, humiliating death for you and me on the cross. Carrying the weight of all our sin and shame and guilt that we might have life in him. We might have new life in christ and that though we deserve to pay for all the sin all the the things we've done wrong all the the wrong even the wrong things we've said i mean forget about all the things we've done think about all the things we've said that are wrong even though we deserve to pay for all of that that because jesus died on the cross if we put our faith and trust in him we no longer have to pay for that jesus paid for it at the cross on our behalf a number of years ago i found myself in a courtroom i had been uh, i 'd been caught speeding, and um, when you if you get caught caught speeding a lot then you don 't just uh, get a ticket um, or uh, slap on the wrist uh, you get taken to court and as an eighteen year old uh, that 's what happened to me um, and uh, just an aside i 'm actually grateful for it because it, it changed the way I drove before. I, I I hurt anybody or I got hurt so I am I'm grateful for it but nonetheless at the time I was not grateful for it and found myself in court as a, a young chap and in court as I'm sure you've all seen on in the movies and on television there is there's a defense and there's a prosecution you know there and uh, in that you know you've got the defending and it, Defending is kind of the boasting, you know, kind of, you know, it's, it's me sort of saying, oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't mean to, you know, I'm a good guy. It's not how I normally drive, you know. The, the, you've got the boasting, right? In any in any court, uh, you know, you've got the boasting, which is like the defence, making excuses and trying to put put a good spin on on the person or just. Build up the person. You've got the defense. But then you've got the prosecution who's saying, you know, this, he, he did it. He was speeding. Look, we, you know, you've got the police, but this is what happened. He was speeding. We caught him. And you've got the, the prosecution. And in this, to use the language of this, uh, this passage, the curse, you know, the attack. Yeah, you've got the, the boasting, the defense, and then you've got the, 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 pr- the prosecution, the attacking, the cursing. You've got these two things going on. And uh, in, a, in a court, you know, arguments are presented, aren't they? Both sides, the defense, the boasting, and the prosecution, the, the attack, the, um, the cursing. And then a judge or a jury deliberates, and a verdict is reached. And, and once that verdict is reached, there's no point continuing to make a defense, or, or a prosecution, if whoever's lost. And there's no point continuing in that, because the verdict has happened. Yeah, there's, there's just, it's too late. The verdict, the, the arguments have been presented, A dis- verdict has been reached, that's it. There is no point in, in continuing with the defense, the arguments, or the prosecution, the arguments. With me so far? The good news is that because Jesus died on the cross, the verdict on our sin is in. Yeah? One day, we will all have to stand and give an account. But the ver- if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, the verdict on your sin is already in. Yeah, the judge has already decided it. If you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, the verdict has already been decided. And though you are guilty, found, though you and I are absolutely found guilty, we are declared totally innocent, totally faultless. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? That that though we're found guilty, we're, we're declared completely innocent and free because of the blood of Jesus at the cross. And, the, and it's not just like a, a judge or, you know, saying, okay, now you can go. You know, now you're, you're found innocent and you can go. We, we're justified, which means more than that. It means you're, you're found guilty, you're declared innocent and faultless because of Jesus dying on the cross. And now come. Now come. Now come to me. Now receive from me. And so if you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you're no longer in the courtroom. You're no longer in the courtroom and so my question for us this morning is are we going to live in light of that because if that's true if we really believe that the verdict is in on on me that the verdict that matters which is what god thinks of me is in and decided and he finds me faultless and holy and pure because of his son on the cross then why do i need to go about defending myself kind of boasting or or attacking other people kind of cursing them because the person that matters is is jesus it's the Heavenly Father whose, whose verdict is in on me, on my sin. Why do I need to go around boasting and defending myself when, when attack comes in, or I feel as though attack comes in? Why do I need to defend myself? Or why do I need to attack others, or complain, or criticize about others? Because the verdict on, on me is in. The, the verdict that matters is in. How can we, in, how, can our, how can our speech not be affected by that? How can we curse others? If, if, if we know that our identity is in Christ, how can we curse others? We deserve death, but we have been raised to life by Jesus dying on the cross. What a tremendous truth, which if I live daily in light of, has to change all of my life, not just my speech. How can I defend myself or criticise others or curse others when I know what I deserve and yet what I've been forgiven from because Jesus died at the cross? What tremendous truth. And so the antidote is is, is knowing our identity, knowing what we deserve and yet what we've received by the cross. But also in verse 9, and with the Spirit's help, it says, With the tongue we praise our Lord Jesus. Yeah, we praise our Lord Jesus. That's the antidote is, oh yeah, look, look what I've been forgiven from. Look what I really deserve and yet look what I've been forgiven from. And so I praise our Lord Jesus. That's the antidote to to, to how I speak. It's it's realising that my identity is now found in Christ. What really matters is his opinion, not not other people's. What really matters is his opinion, and now I'm going to praise him. And out out of a thankful heart, it changes who I am. It changes my speech. It changes the direction of our hearts. I can't possibly speak in a way of putting others down and putting myself above them because God, who knows the absolute very worst about you and me, has made made us an object of love, of grace, and of mercy. He humbled himself, put himself down that you and I might live Philippians 2. In Luke 18, <clears throat> Jesus tells a, a story about a, um, a Pharisee and a tax collector. If you don't know your Bible, you could be forgiven initially anyway for thinking that the Pharisees are the, the good guys. They're kind of, you know, got to... Clean act, so it seems, you know, follow all the, all the rules, so it seems, and uh, well to do. And, and yet, that's not at all the case. Um, actually, the, there's no substance to it. It's just outward behavior. Um, the heart the heart isn't, isn't, isn't like that at all. And uh, you've got this, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And Jesus tells this parable of how a Pharisee, when he's praying, he says, Oh, thank you, Lord, praise out loud, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like those other people. I'm not like them. Yeah, I mean we can all do that. We've all got a friend or somebody we know who is who's an idiot, and we're better off. And we say, oh, you know, it's okay. You know, when when judgment comes, I can think I'm better than them. I've done better than them. I'm more together than them. We've all got that person in our life. Yeah, and we can do that. Um, And this Pharisee, oh, thank God, I'm not like them. And then there was the tax collector, and tax collectors were viewed. You know, they were working for the Romans, and uh, they were not viewed well at all. We're not liked. And the tax collector. he prayed, "God, I'm an evil man. Have mercy on me. God have mercy on me." Jesus says, "I tell you, it's the second man, the tax collector, who went home forgiven. It was the tax collector who went home justified. What causes this difference in two people? What causes this difference in response? One, one thought he was a good guy and was self-righteous, but was deceived. And the other, the other person just he knew his failings honest about himself, knew his failings, and was just, oh, God, I need you. I need you to save me. One man, he didn't need Jesus. You know, I'm kind of, I've, got, I've got my axe cleaned up. He didn't need Jesus. But the other guy, hey, I am desperate for you, Lord. Do you, do you see yourself accurately this morning? Do you see your ultimate needs, absolute need for saving? Because if you see yourself as a good person... Then you're going to think, well, I don't, I don't need cleaning up. You know, I'm pretty good. I'm better than other people, better than most other people I know. Whereas if you see yourself as how you really are, which is corrupt, broken, fallen, then you realise your absolute utter need for saving, for rescuing, for the gospel, and that you can't possibly save yourself on your own. My last point, verse nine. James writes this, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. God's likeness speaks about that in Genesis, you know, let's make man in our image. God's likeness, God's image, the imago Dei. Everyone, everyone is made in the image of God. That person at work you can't bear, that boss who drives you up, that colleague, that neighbour, that friend, that family member, um, whatever, made in the image of God. Made in the image of God of God if we truly grasp our identity in Christ yeah if we truly grasp that that we we're, we're, we're saved from an eternity in hell because of what Jesus did at the cross we're saved from what we deserve because Jesus died on the cross for us how can we how can we possibly speak badly about other people who are made in God's image yeah how can we possibly do that but there is another person here who I've only briefly touched on um, who can be the subject of our, of our cursing, the subject of our criticism, and it's ourselves. There are people here who will speak curses, negative things over yourself. And you, you are made in the image of God. You might not love yourself, you might not like yourself, you are made in the image of God. You're included in that list, yeah? Yeah. You're made in the image of God. And so, though you, know the, though you think you know the worst about you, God knows far, far worse about you. And yet he chose to send his son to die on the cross. You were worth dying on the cross for. All the wicked, evil things you've said and done, you were worth dying on the cross for. And now he doesn't see you like that. He sees you as, as perfect. He sees you as holy because of Christ's righteousness. That's how he sees you. That's how you should see yourself. That's how you should see other people made in the image of God. Those people who can wind you up, who are different to you, who can criticise you and attack you, they're made in the image of God. They're made in the image of God, just like you are. And he loves them as he loves you. Johnny, can you come back up? I'm going to draw things together and we're going to worship. I want us to be honest with ourselves this morning. That we are far worse and far flawed, and far more in need of a saviour than we could ever imagine. But at the same time, we are far more loved than we could ever hope for, ever imagine. Far more loved that he would send his son to die in our place. We deserve. We deserve an eternity in hell. And yet by the cross, we we don't have to suffer that. The verdict is in. Because by the cross, if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, the verdict on your sin and my sin is already in. It's already in, and we're we're, we're, we're guilty, but we're found innocent. We're declared innocent by the blood of Jesus. We're forgiven. We're free. This is incredible truth. We deserve death and punishment, and instead we're receiving grace and mercy. We go from being slaves to sin to being free in Christ. Get out of the courtroom. You've no record or righteousness of your own to present that's going to do any good. To defend or boast about, and you've no right to attack or curse others. Instead, despite of all our failings, in light of the gospel that Jesus died for us, let us praise Him. Let us praise Him. Should we stand? And I'm going to read us one last account before we worship. Johnny, can you start playing whenever you're ready? And I'm just going to read this from. uh the book of Luke and uh, an account of Jesus. It says this in Luke seven thirty six: When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will he love more? Simon said, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. What a wonderful account that this woman, though a sinner, wept at Jesus' feet. And he said, You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Folks, let's not spend any more time in the courtroom defending ourselves, attacking others or attacking ourselves the verdict on our sin is in and Jesus had the final word on it let us live in light of that let our speech be flavored in light of our identity in Jesus i want if you don't know jesus this morning i want it to, it's the greatest thing you could ever do putting your hope and your faith and your trust in jesus knowing that the verdict on your sin will be in. If you put your hope and your trust in him, the verdict will be in. It'll be in your favour. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this astonishing truth, Lords, that we, we are forgiven from a great debt we could never pay, all the wrong things that we've said and done, that we're forgiven, that we put our hope and our trust in you, Jesus that you paid the price for all those mistakes at the cross help us to live daily in light of that Lord will we find our identity in, in us as a son or daughter of Jesus as a friend of Jesus not in anything else I pray for any that don't know you Lords. just pray reveal yourself to them this morning Lord Holy Spirit reveal their absolute need for you for a saviour thank you jesus amen